You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning, 10 o'clock and, and welcome. Let's waste no time. Your copy of God's Word, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 together. We've been walking through this great book this summer. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, eight books in. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 5 this morning. Read a little bit and kind of um, help us get some context of what's happening and where this is happening as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse, verse 5. Hope you have your copy of God's Word with you. You can share it with someone next to you. It's always on the screen behind me as, as well. Beginning in verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, speaking to the church at Corinth. Church of Corinth, you comforted Titus, the pastor. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, Paul says, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced still more. But even if I made you grieve with my letter, speaking of 1 Corinthians, I do not regret it. Although I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only I regretted it for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death." Let's stop. Paul was up in, up in Macedonia, and you can tell from verse five, we read just in chapter seven, verse five, that it was difficult. It was a difficult season. Uh, there was, was fighting without, and there was fear within. You see that same thing mentioned. If you don't mind, just let your eyes go down to chapter eight, verse two. You see that same thought of, of conflict or affliction. Verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, speaking of the churches there in, in Macedonia, you can see that things were difficult up in Macedonia. So what was so difficult up there? Let me show you one of my favorite things. Let me show you a map. So if you see on the screen behind me a, a map, you see on the map, you see Macedonia, you see Greece, you see Corinth there. Let me underline a few things for you. I underlined for you Macedonia. That's the northernmost region of, of the Greek peninsula. Uh, you read about Macedonia a whole lot, I think 25 times in the New Testament. There's three very familiar churches up there in Macedonia. You have the church at Philippi, that's the, the, the book Philippians. You have the, the city of Berea, and you have the city of Thessaloniki. So first and second Thessalonians was written to that church. So you see Macedonia up north. Again, you see Greece at the southern uh, portion of the Greek peninsula. And you see Corinth. I have circled Corinth for you there. Uh, that's where this church is that Paul is writing, First and Second Corinthians. But I also underlined Italy for you because you might remember that's where Rome is. And the Roman army is gonna come from, from Italy. You see Italy, I think, in the upper left-hand corner of, of your map. So what, what is so difficult in, in Macedonia. First of all, it was a war zone. Uh, it was from Macedonia that, that Alexander the Great had come, and so a lot of that territory became battleground, became battle zone. 
of all the Roman emperors, and many of the first Roman emperors, they went there with their Roman army. They did not sail across uh, the, the short little sea there to get to Greece. Instead, they came up through Turkey and would come down through Macedonia to, to conquer Greece. And so uh, Julius Caesar did this, Cassius did this, Octavius did this. Um, you see several emperors that came, and so they decimated because of war. The second thing you could not see on that map is that most of Macedonia is, is of war. The second thing, you farmers up there, is that most of Macedonia is, is farmland. So poor farmers up there, farmers who lived in poverty, they lived on, on that land. In fact, if you let your eyes go back down again one more time to chapter 8, verse 2, you see, therefore, in severe tests of affliction, there, speaking of the Macedonian churches, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So it was a place of, of, of poverty. In fact, that word extreme uh, is the Greek word bathos, and it means rock bottom. Like they were about as poor as you could get. They're on the lowest level of the socioeconomic uh, table. They, they were poor. There was a lot of farmland. It was a place of, of poverty. In fact, when the Romans came and occupied Macedonia, uh, they enslaved the Macedonians. And so those... There's been terrible earthquakes in Macedonia all throughout history, even recently in own... There's been terrible earthquakes in Macedonia all throughout history, even recently in our own world history, that destroyed so much of the northern part of Greece during the region of, of Macedonia, world history, that destroyed so much of the northern part of Greece during the region of, of Macedonia. In fact, you might remember, kind of put all the dots together. Pa Paul and Silas were in Macedonia in the jail at Philippi. What was it that released them from the jail? An earthquake. So the place was constantly shaking and there were buildings that were constantly falling. It was a place of war. It was a place of, of poverty. And it was while Paul was up there in Macedonia that Titus comes to him. Verse seven, Titus the pastor. This is the, the book is written of Titus to Titus from Paul. So here, here's Titus the pastor. And he said that the Corinthian church was beginning to, verse nine, beginning to repent that they were turning from their selfish ways. And you see this at the end of verse nine. They had godly sorrow. And so it led them to repentance. Now, worldly sorrow means I'm sorry I got caught. And it leads to death, Paul says, but godly sorrow or godly grief, your Bible might say that, was this sense of I, I, I feel horrible for my sin. I'm repenting, I'm turning away from sin, I'm turning toward righteousness. And, and now what does Paul do? This is great. This is what you do with a church that is now getting healthy, a church that is repenting. Paul now says, now that you have repented, let's give. Specifically, Paul is talking about collecting an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem who were struggling and starving. And now because of their faith in Christ, they have been made the lowest class in, in Israel. So Paul is gonna use the churches in Macedonia. We saw them just then, Philippi, Berea, Thessaloniki, to serve as an example to the Corinthian church of how to give, how to be generous. Let's pick it up here. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Let me read verses one through three. We want you to know, brothers, speaking of the church of Corinth, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. I mentioned those just then. For in a severe test of affliction in their area, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Let's stop real quick. The Bible does not say that the churches of Macedonia had a wealth of money. It says right here, you just read it, they had a wealth of generosity. And they gave beyond 
their means? How do you give beyond your means? In, in, in scripture, this would mean they gave more than they naturally should have. In other words, it means that they did without some things so that they could give to other things. Pick it up here in chapter eight, verse four. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is the offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God, they gave financially to us to pass along to the Christians therein in Jerusalem. I hope you didn't miss this, verse four. They begged to give. <laughs> I've been in three churches now. I never remember anyone begging me, Pastor John, please make us give. Please tell us more often how important it is that we, we give. I, that has yet to happen. Maybe after the 10 o'clock gathering today, someone will come up to me, beeline to me after this gathering and say, would you please ask us to give more? You ne you'd never tell us to give. Would you please tell us to give? They begged Paul in their poverty, remember, in their affliction, in a war zone, perhaps even after a recent earthquake, Paul, would you please, please let us give? Because the Macedonians were saying right here, either this is all true or it's not true at all. But don't rob us of the blessing of giving. Pick it up here in verse, verse 10. And in this matter, uh, I give my judgment that benefits you, Church of Corinth, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about a collection that the church of Corinth had thought about giving to the Christians in Jerusalem. They had heard about it. They had considered it. They started doing this work a year ago, verse 11. Paul says, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring to give may be matched by your completing at out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul wanted to move the Corinthians from this place of, well, I want to give, or I was desiring to give, or I plan to give, to a place of actually giving. Paul was taking a cue from Phil Knight of Nike just do it. Like you have talked about giving Corinthians for a full year now. You have talked about your desire to give. You want to give. You have a plan to give. The only problem is you have not given. So give. He says here in verse 11, now finish doing it also. The desire is there. The readiness is there. Now give. Now some of you already are getting really anxious You've already elbowed your spouse and saying, I knew we shouldn't have come today. He's gonna to talk about money today. We should have stayed home. I can mute him on live stream, but here we are. I'm not even sure what to do at this point. So let's not talk about your money. Let's talk about other people's money first. This is much more fun, isn't it? But this is gonna require some, some participation. If ever in your lifetime, you have gone to a vacation Bible school at a church, you have gone You've sent your kids, you've sent your grandkids, maybe presently, maybe many years ago, maybe you're at Vacation Bible School. If you've ever been to a Vacation Bible School before, would you, would you lift your hand for me? Yeah, I mean, it still works. It's not old school, it's Vacation Bible School. It's still, it's still working. How about this? How many of y'all have had in Highland at any point either a preschooler in the preschool ministry or a kid in the kids' ministry. Either you've had them in the past or you have kids or preschoolers in the ministry here at Highland even now. So past or present. How many of y'all have had preschoolers or kids involved in, in the kids' ministry at, at Highland? Yeah, another very significant number of you. So let's talk about other people's money for a little bit. Think about other people who paid 
for the chairs that you sat in at Vacation Bible School and the chairs that your kids are sitting in right now or the chairs that your kids sat in in, 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 in the past. Think about other people paying money for the tables upon which they can put their Bible or their craft supplies or, or, or their curriculum. Think of the other people who spent money on the Vacation Bible School supplies, on the curriculum for, for Sunday school, for the preschoolers, for, for the kids. I mean, just think of the other people who, who paid for those things. Just, just consider that for a little bit. Consider for a moment other people paying for a police officer to be outside just to kind of keep the safety, keep the peace, keep watch over us. I mean, the, the biggest budget item we haven't even talked about yet is goldfish crackers, right? How much, how much money has been given to goldfish crackers in the budget of a, of a church throughout, the, throughout the, the, the centuries? Think of other people's money that has paid for things that, that you and I have enjoyed. How about this? In a hot summer, someone's paying for the air, air conditioning over there. Now, some of you may be old enough to remember Vacation Bible School without air conditioning, but praise the Lord, we have Vacation Bible School with air conditioning today. Or when it gets cold for those three weeks in the year, it's actually cold. We have heating for upstairs. Someone is paying for that, for that heating. Someone paid. In fact, there may be a few in this congregation. Someone paid for that building back in the 1980s as well. So let's talk about other people's money. Before you grab your wallet today and run out of here, let's just talk about other people's money. What, what about this? Have you ever been or ever sent a, a, a youth to Sunday's camp? So Sunday's camp is, is our youth camp here at Highlands. Have you, have you been before? If you've sent a teenager before, maybe you sent one this, this past semester, maybe you sent one many years ago. If you've ever sent a, a student or you've been a student at Sunday's camp at Mount Lebanon, would you just lift your hand for me real quick? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, this past year, our, our students paid $350 to go to camp, but that wasn't the cost of camp. The cost of camp was $400 per student. But we charged the students $350 to go. Who picked up the tab of $50 times 178 students? Well, you did. So on behalf of every student that went to Sunday's camp a few weeks ago, thank you, Highland, for, for doing that. How many of you have ever gone to a, to a mission trip before, either through Highland or maybe through another organization, through another church, through, through Hoops for Hope, when you're a teenager, when you're a college student, maybe in recently, just raise your hand if you've ever been on any mission trip be, before. That's, that's awesome. You know that we sent our students to Guatemala a few weeks ago. A lot of our students went to go serve in an orphanage down there. They had to raise $1,500 to go, but that wasn't the cost of going to Guatemala. The cost of going to Guatemala was $2,000. Who picked up the tab of 25 people, 25 students going to Guatemala times $500? You did. So on behalf of every student that's gone on a mission trip, and by the way, we don't do this for adults, just for teenagers. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna give you $500 adults to go because you can make your own money. But teenagers, we love to come in and say, we'd love for you to go. As a church, we wanna come behind you and, and support you. How many of y'all have ever been to a kid's camp before? You've sent a kid to kid's camp before recently, maybe a long time ago, or you went to a preteen camp or a kid's camp. Just lift your hand for me as well. I knew it was gonna be a, a big group of that. This past year, Kids camp, I think, cost $250 for our kids, but the actual price was $325. Like, who supplemented the cost per kid to go to kids camp this summer? You did. So on behalf of every kid that has gone to kids camp before through, through Highland, thank you for, for doing that. You see, that was other people's money that was blessing the kids, that was blessing the teenagers, that, that, that was blessing camp, was blessing vacation Bible school. And, and here's what I've noticed 
When the sermon is about giving, this is 30 years experience for me in saying this. When the sermon is about giving, those here today who give, they're encouraged by this sermon. They're affirmed by it. In fact, they're, 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 they want to continue. It motivates them to continue to give. Now, those who are considering giving who are here today or maybe have thought before, should I, should I be giving more than I am? A sermon like this usually leads a person or, or it teaches the person. It brings them to transformation. Do you know after 30 years, the people who get mad when the preacher talks about money are those who are stingy, those who don't give because it embitters them when they hear this. And if you don't like the preacher talking about money, you would have hated hearing Jesus preach. 18 of his 36 parables were about money. We're about giving. Now, why in the world would we talk about money? One of the kindest things I can do is tell you what God says about money because money spiritually unchecked can do three horrible things. It can tear apart relationships, especially a marriage. It can easily replace God as your first love. And money can cause you to trust your money more than you trust your God. Three things for you today. First of all, generosity is fueled by God's great grace toward us. The motivation for, for giving is that God has been gracious to us. He has been generous to us. And so we want to be gracious toward others. We want to be generous toward others, gracious in giving, gracious in, 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 in receiving from God, from his graciousness. And we also want to be generous in our giving. So when it comes to giving, it is always a matter of grace. And you see in this entire text right here that generosity and giving is connected to, is married to grace. Look at chapter eight, verse, verse one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Chapter eight, verse four. Some of your Bibles use the word um, grace here. Some use the word favor. Begging us earnestly for the favor, maybe be a notation in your Bible. There is in mind that that word also is charis in Greek, is, is also the word for grace. Look, look at verse six with me. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Look at verse, verse seven. But as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and our love for you, see also that you excel in this act of grace also. Look at verse nine of, of, chapter, of chapter eight. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Look at verse 19 of, 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 chapter, of chapter eight. And not only this, but he has appointed us by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. Jump into the next chapter. Look at chapter nine, verse eight. I love this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So the grace of God, Highland, is upon us. The grace of God then enables us to give. So generous giving is really a reaction. Generous giving is actually a response to the grace of God Toward us. I think we could say this morning, we give because he first gave to us. How about this little subpoint? If Old Testament law required 10% giving, what would grace ask? Like in the Old Testament, we're required, if we're gonna be followers of God, that we have to give 10%. But we no longer live under the law as New Testament Christians, we live in this new age of grace. What should grace require us to give? I don't have an answer for you. I just want you to wrestle with it. Does grace say that we give less than the 10? Same as 10? More than 10? I don't have an answer for you. I want you to wrestle with this, but I will tell you in the New Testament, if I told you the New Testament answer is, you'd prefer to be an Old Testament saint today. 
So the Old Testament was 10%, 10% exactly. I think in the New Testament, unless I'm reading it completely incorrectly, 100% of what you have belongs to the Lord. And he tells us what to give, not if to give. He's already told us that. What to give, how to give, to what ministry we give. If the Old Testament law required 10% giving, what would grace ask of us? God's grace is at work in our lives. His grace has changed us. His grace has, has, has transformed us. Freely, we have received. Therefore, freely, we give. Secondly, in the law of the harvest, giving is multiplied to others and also multiplied to you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is new territory, verse 15. This is when Paul begins with this law of the harvest. In the law of the harvest, giving is multiplied. It's multiplied to others, but also multiplies back to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul is gonna go back and quote from Exodus chapter 16. What he's gonna say here is if you hoard and you just keep everything that you have, then you have nothing left. But if you share what you have with, with others, you have no lack. There is nothing that you're lacking. Paul continues in this law of the harvest. Jump over one chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Pick it up here in verse six. And I love that Paul begins with this little phrase. The point is this. Like, let me make sure we're all on the same page here, Paul is saying. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not giving under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Although I think he'll take from a grumpy one as well. He loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And as it is written, he has distributed freely he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Here's the law of the harvest again, verse 10. He, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply, keyword, and multiply your seed for sowing, and, keyword, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. In the law of the harvest, verse six, you reap what you sow. And every farmer knows this. You reap more than you sow. What you sow into the ground will grow, it will multiply, and it will be reaped. You reap what you sow. I would imagine a lot of us in this house today, we heard that from our mom or dad. Oh, you reap what you sow. It's true in the natural world. You sow tomato seed, you, you reap tomatoes. You sow okra seed, you reap okra. You sow watermelon seed, you, you reap watermelon. I know it's close to lunch, and so I'll stop with the natural world. But it's also true in, in the sinful spiritual world. You sow bitterness, you reap bitterness. You sow dissension, you reap dissension. You sow anger, you reap anger. But it's also true in the gospel spiritual world. When you sow joy, you reap joy. 
When you sow kindness, you reap kindness. When you sow generosity, you reap generosity. God always multiplies what we give. I want you to go back and see this. Verse 10, verse 11, one more time of chapter nine. He who supplies, God who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. He's talking about giving for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Now you're not enriched so you can hold on to it. What does it say here in verse 11? You're enriched so you can be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I'm not saying, so hear me closely, I'm not saying that if you give money, God will always give you money back. In fact, usually what he gives back is better than money. Grace. Opportunities. A sense of his nearness. An ability to trust his promises. He says here that as we give, he gives back so that we might be even more generous. I mean, you're never gonna be able to outgive God. You give and he continues to, to give to you. Look at verse eight one more time. And God is able, so chapter nine, verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You give and he gives to you. The more you give, the more he gives to you. That's not the prosperity gospel, that's obedience. And it's really clear in the word right here that if you give, it will be given back. And several of the places in scripture reinforce that. Solomon says it in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of what you produce. Then, keyword, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Solomon continues, one man gives freely, yet he gains even more. One man gives freely, he gains even more. Another withholds unduly, and that man comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. In other words, when you give, it is given to you, but be stingy and you lose what you have. If you refresh others, you yourself will be Refreshed. How about Malachi? You know this one probably. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my temple. In other words, you give to the place where you worship. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And if you're thinking, yeah, preacher, that's all Old Testament stuff though. Okay, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, the measurement will be back to you. It will be measured back to you. So when you write a check to the local church, or you drop coins and cash into the baskets when you leave, or you set up an online giving, and you send money to the ministries of the church, don't look at your money and say, Farewell. <laughs> Look at your money and say, see you soon. Because when you give, it comes back to you. So says our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We give and it is returned to us. When we give generously under the law, the harvest, what we give is, is multiplied. I mean, you, know, you farmers know this, or you planters, your gardeners know this. One tomato seed can produce 30 tomatoes. And inside each of those 30 tomatoes are 200 seeds, which means one seed can produce 6,000 seeds. 
We saw this recently at Highland, how your giving multiplied on to others. For our centennial this year, we set a goal of helping three church plants. We set a goal of raising $150,000 back in May uh, to give that to, to those three churches as they're just now starting. You probably know this. You ended up giving $421,938. One of the pastors of the churches that received your blessing has a word of thank you to you today. Hey, how's it going, Highland Church and uh, Pastor John? I want to say uh, hello from Logos Baptist Church in Brownsville, Texas. We're about to celebrate our third anniversary today. The Highland Blessing is what we call it, uh, has been one of the pivotal points for our ministry. And we just want to share a little bit about what we have done so far with that blessing. Uh, a portion of what you've given us has been distributed among uh, some missionaries that we've decided to support including some in Ecuador, some in Guatemala, some in Spain, Valencia, Madrid, and Sevilla. That's what the gospel is all about. Churches getting together to work together to spread the gospel. Also, uh, this week we began our first of several uh, Backyard Bible Clubs which is us going into communities to bless children with backpacks, to share the gospel with them, and to provide a safe uh, place for them to gather and to meet their neighbors as well. Another portion of the Highland Blessing that you gave us uh, has also been invested in a missionary, a missionary that we're going to be supporting. His name is Adam. He's going to be moving to Asia with his wife, Mia. They're going to be doing great work. The final part of uh, that portion of blessing that we're using is going towards the college ministry. We believe in Baptist student ministry. We believe in partnering with Baptist organizations on campus, and they're doing an excellent job. So we are also providing for them some funding so that they can hire um, campus interns provide for them a stipend to work and uh, have their needs met while they share the gospel. We couldn't have done any of this without you. We look forward to not only um, thinking of you and only remembering what's been done in the past, but looking forward to partnering uh, further in the future. I would love to visit you sometime. Ask Pastor John to send me an invite and I'll be there uh, pretty soon. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. couple of faces I hope you remember from that video for a long time. One, the face of the lady being baptized in the ocean off the coast of Spain. I hope you remember some of the faces of those kids in the backyard Bible club. And although the third one's not necessarily a face, but just the name and the situation of, of that church sending out a missionary to a Muslim nation to share the gospel. This is what happens when a church plants a seed and that seed begins to multiply. We thought we were just giving to a church startup in Brownsville, Texas, down, the, down in the valley. But instead, God took that blessing and then sent it to missionaries in Spain and Guatemala and Ecuador, sent it to send out missionaries into a, a Muslim nation, used that money to help bless college students in a college ministry to build up the BSM and the college, local college down there. This is what I'm saying. This is what scripture is saying, that when we give, it's multiplied to others. When we give, yes, it comes back to us, but it's multiplied into others. Here's my third and, and last thing for today. Generosity begins 
with the giving of our lives to the Lord. I mean, giving is not just about money. Now, don't let out a big sigh of relief just yet because it's not less than money, but it's so much more than money. Chapter eight, verse, verse five. And this, this is Paul speaking of the churches at Macedonia. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God, they, they gave to us. They gave their very lives to the Lord. I, I will say this, and this may be offensive to some of you, but I'll just let it land wherever it needs to land. You will never give of your money, your, your offering, your time, your, your skill set. You'll never give of your experiences until you first give yourself to the Lord. And then when you give yourself to the Lord, it's easy to let things go. It's easy to live your life with, with your hands wide open. God, what would you have of me today? What would you have me to give? Everything I have belongs to you. But then Paul says, excel, which is the root word of our word, excellent. Be excellent in. In fact, in Greek, the word excel here in, in verse seven of chapter eight is the word that means go above and beyond, go over and beyond. Paul says, go over and beyond the other things as well. Chapter eight, verse seven, excel in your faith. Excel in, in your speech or the purity of your speech. Excel and grow in, in knowledge. Grow in earnestness or sincerity. Grow in love and also grow in giving. Excel in giving. So that's really the big question, isn't it, today? It doesn't start with, does my money go to the Lord? It starts with, does my heart belong to the Lord? Everything else will flow from that. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for your generosity toward us. We are grateful today that one of the very first scriptures we learned was that for God so loved the world that he, he gave. God, you are a giver. You have called us, asked us to obey you in giving. So Father, may we be people of generosity, which means we're gonna be people of grace, which means we're gonna be people that say, everything I have, God, belongs to you. Direct me, remind me, increase my faith, help me excel in faith, to excel in sincerity, to, to excel in giving. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. We give because you first gave to us. We're generous because you are a generous God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I told some of the leadership team early this morning when we met, um, the response time has every possibility of being the most awkward moment of the day for us. So we're gonna open up the, the altars here at the front and I mean, are you gonna be hesitant to come down thinking if I, if I come down, people are gonna think I haven't been giving. Or if I come down, maybe people are gonna think, you know, man, he, I thought that was a spiritual leader in the church and maybe he's coming down because he hasn't given. She hasn't given in a long time. Here's really the, the thing we need to respond to today. How much of your life belongs to the Lord? Not just how much of your pocketbook, but does your heart belong to him? Maybe today you'd wanna come to this next song and just kneel here at the front and come and pray with some staff members up here and say, I, God, my heart belongs to you. God, may my heart belong to you, all of me, undivided, unreserved. I want to fully belong to you. Everything else will come. I just want to belong to you.
Let's sing together. The altar is open for you to come and pray. Staff members would love to pray with you during this time. Let's sing.